Please go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1 or your texts. Maybe you have it on your phone or however you're accessing it to John, 1 John chapter 1. And let's pray. Father, we ask you to be with us now as we look together at your word. We pray that you would use our time together in it to prepare our hearts to come to our Savior's table and to rejoice in the communion that we have with him. Lord, we are dependent upon you for every blessing. And Lord, we need your blessing in this regard now. And so we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the hymn says, time is an ever-rolling stream, and it's carried us together here into 2023. Last night, uh, Bonnie and I prayed that the blessing of the Lord would be with each one of you and uh, as you begin the new year, and we thank God for the promise that his goodness and his mercy will follow us into the new year and all the days of our lives. This uh, is a great comfort because none of us knows what a new day, let alone a new year, may bring into our lives. We don't have any way of determining that. It may be great joy or it may be inexpressible sorrow. It may be blessed comforts and prosperity. It might be pinching trials. We just don't know what the year holds for us. But we know that God will be with us throughout every day of that year. However things unfold for us personally or as families or as a church or a denomination, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that gives us hope and it gives us expectation here at the opening of the year. David says in Psalm 36 and verse 7, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And so that's how we begin the year, putting our trust under the shadow of the Lord's wings. It has to be acknowledged, however, as we begin this year, that the course that we are on as a nation, at least culturally, is a dangerous one. In official circles, and among those who have influence, we see God and his word continuing to be despised, to be mocked, and rebelled against. Even in this, even in the last few weeks of this year, even really up through last night, I've heard politicians and government representatives not only espouse things that are wrong biblically, but are expressly contradicting to Scripture and to God's revealed will. Many of our leaders and influential people in our society believe that they have nothing to fear from God and that if they repress his followers by labeling things like prayer as hate speech, they can act with impunity against him and against his law. The psalmist observed, and this is in Psalm 10 in verses 3 through 4, the psalmist said, The wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. 
In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And so there are those who are acting daily, hourly, really, right now, as though there is no God. And that's the way they conduct themselves. And that foolishness will be the ruin of the nation. Unless God shows mercy and delivers them and us from the path that they've placed us on. Psalm 9 and verse 17 makes it plain. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now thankfully, the Lord promises that he will never forget us in the context of whatever circumstances we find ourselves. He'll be with his people, even in adversity. But it would be foolish to believe that the consequences of their behavior will have no impact on our lives or those of our children if it continues. And for this reason and others, it's vital that we be beseeching the Lord to continue to use us as salt and light in our society during 2023. You're commissioned by your salvation to be a living witness to and for your God and Savior. Whether we're talking about the context of your home or whether we're talking about school or among others of our peers in different circumstances, at church, at work, at play, we are to be a witness a living witness for the living God. And while we can do nothing without him, with Christ we can do all things as he strengthens us. Now we've just come off a series drawn from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, dealing with faith and how it manifests itself in the life of the Christian and how it animates those who believe. And we're now shifting our attention to this epistle of John's. I would recommend to you, as a companion to our study of this epistle, uh, a little book by R.C. Sproul called Loved by God. Some of you may have read it, some of you may have it, but (coughs) if you have, I'd encourage you to read again as we make our way through uh, this first epistle of John. Um, This subject... Loved by God is also a video series by R.C. Sproul, but I'd urge you to get the book and read it instead of just listening to him talk about it, but to put it before your own eyes and read what he has to say. And if you need uh, to help getting it ordered, if you'll see myself or Ty or Steve or or, uh, Mrs. Lynch, we'll be happy to see that we can order one for you. Now, turning our attention to 1 John itself, At the heart of John's epistle, if you think about what's at the heart of this, this first letter of John, you will find what it means and what it looks like if one truly has fellowship with God. If one is loved by him and one loves him in return. That's what you have at the heart of this epistle. What it looks like to be loved by God. And to love him, to be in fellowship with him. And you can see this right from the very first chapter. I'll start there and we'll read through the chapter this morning. 
So 1 John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 10. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now Calvin points out that John speaks by the Holy Spirit here as this epistle opens of the deity of Jesus Christ and his blessings. And then he highlights what a great gift it is of God's grace that sinners though we are, the Lord sent his son to die for us that we might receive the adoption of sons and daughters by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Calvin then adds, on that foundation, on these truths, he grounds his exhortations and he admonishes us in general, to lead a pious and holy life. Now, that's kind of an overview of of the whole epistle. John is renowned for speaking majestically, but plainly in clear language. And I truly hope that we can convey the exposition of his majestic letter and the clear expressions of the work, preserving that plainness for us all. So let's look together at this first verse. The first verse says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. John is declaring to us that which was from the beginning, concerning the word of life, as he and the other disciples heard it, saw it, with their own eyes, and touched it with their own hands. That which was from the beginning concerning the word of life, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel that is a part of who Christ is. Jesus is the word of life, as John says in his gospel. But here John's referring to that which concerned the Savior from the beginning all the way to the end. Perhaps I can illustrate what he means in this way. Uh, On my 
uh, train platform at home. I have a, a group of soldiers on, on horseback. And the story of this toy, of course, begins when it was manufactured about 100 years ago. At some point, it was given to my father as a gift. And he played with it as a boy. And of course, you know, as a, an adult, as I'm thinking about my father, I know my father was a boy. I'm, I'm sure he was, but I never gave much thought to what he did when he was a boy or what kind of games he played or toys he might have had. Just didn't think about it. But he played with it as a boy, and he kept it safe well into my lifetime. But I never saw it or knew he had it. I just kind of knew vaguely that he was a boy. Then one day, he handed me a box, and in that box, carefully wrapped in yellowed tissue paper, were these toy soldiers. And up to that time, those toys had a story, but I didn't know what it was. But once they came into my possession, I had a different kind of fellowship with my dad and with those toys because now I became a participant in the story. It wasn't just, this is the toy my father played with, whatever those toys were when he was a boy. This is actually a toy he played with when he was a boy. And now I get to play with it. I've seen them, I've held them, and I can tell you a great deal about those toys. The day will come when I'll pass them on to one of my sons, and then he or she will see, or he, if it's a son, will see it, handle it, and use it, and become a part of the story too. Now John, understand, John is dealing with something far more sublime here, something so vastly more important, but I pray that maybe you can see the analogy. The story of the gospel and the part that the word of life plays in it is from the beginning, from the very beginning, really even from before the foundations of the world. And every generation of believers has had a part with it. Whether it's Job or Abraham or David and so on. But John and the other apostles enjoyed a unique period in the history of, of the story, in the story itself. They witnessed the word made flesh. The word of life made flesh. He says it in verse 2. You see there? The life was made manifest. It was unveiled. It was shown. It was displayed. It was set down right before us. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He was the eternal life. The story is from the beginning, from before the beginning of things that we know. But then it was set down right before us and manifested to us right in our presence. He puts it in his gospel this way in John chapter 1 and verse 14. There John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There is the story of the gospel 
from before the beginning. But it was set down in the person of Jesus Christ right before us. And we beheld him and we saw him, the the son of the father, full of grace and truth. And it's John's design then to relate to you and me and all who read his epistle what that fellowship is that he had with the Father and with the Son as he looked upon the word of life so that we might have it too. So we look at verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim unto you, we preach to you, we, we set before you, we tell you about also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And again, the same idea is found in his earlier gospel after describing in detail the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross, John writes this in the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 35. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. This is John's passion I saw these things. I witnessed these things. I was there at the cross. I saw Christ suffer and die for sinners. And I am sharing and I'm proclaiming it to you so that you too can know what Christ did and what he came to give. John then records certain details about the resurrection. And again, after he records those details about Christ coming forth from the dead, he says this in John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believe by believing you may have life in his name, that you might know and have a part in the word of life. That's John's passion. It's his purpose to reveal these things to you so that you can have a part in them. And then once more, at the very end of the gospel, in John chapter 21, verse 24, It says this, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, we go back to verse 1 here in 1 John chapter 1, and you see that John presents to you the witness of three senses. His hearing, his seeing, and his touching. And while he mentions all three, he emphasizes the seeing of the word of life, the seeing of Jesus, the Messiah. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, there's the hearing, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched, so does eyes then, and then the sense of touch with our hands, 
concerning the word of life. That's what I'm presenting to you. Now, when he says that we have seen it and we have looked upon it, he's talking about about both lingering observation and close scrutiny. When I was very little, probably four years old, I found a rusty nail in the gutter outside my house. And that rusty nail was a treasure. I found it. And a little girl lived next door. And she came over and sat next to me on the curb and she said, Can I see your nail? And I held it up to her and said, There it is. And I clutched it back. She said, Well, can I hold it? And I said, No. <laughs> you can't hold it. Look at it. There it is. See it? And the rest of the story is she bit me at that point. And then our mothers came out of the house and took us both back into the house. But the point is, I wasn't going to give her any opportunity to have any lingering observation of that nail or to give it any scrutiny, any careful looking. But John says, in regards to the word of life, it came. Christ was born in Bethlehem. Then he, was, he, he rose to manhood And he was before us. And we had all the time anybody could possibly want to observe him, to look at him. And I'm telling you, John says, we saw in him truth and life. We saw he was the Messiah. We saw he is the Savior. John says we were able to give him careful scrutiny. It wasn't just that we had an occasional time to visit with him. We got to look carefully and watch him in all kinds of circumstances and all the changing situations of life. Now, we mentioned this before, beloved, but it's good to be constantly reminded that we need to make this distinction in our minds, especially as we try to be a witness to other people. Christians believe the gospel Because it's not only the teaching of Christianity that God is the redeemer of his people. It's an historical fact attested to by eyewitnesses. We don't put our faith in a story passed down from long ago by word of mouth regarding demigods and and monsters and myths and mysteries shrouded in darkness and unknown silly origins. It's an ancient promise to be sure, but it's attested to that promise by events lived out and witnessed by individuals and involving historical figures and events. And that's what John is conveying to you. There's not just this idea, this, uh, this theory that God is going to redeem his lost loved ones. We actually saw the word of life made flesh. And we saw that sacrifice made for us so that we might have new life. And it's on the basis of the reality of the events that John is calling on you and me to believe. John doesn't say, I once heard of a man named Jesus, but that he actually heard him speak with his own ears the words of life. He touched him both before and after the resurrection. 
And he observed him in all sorts of situations and had the opportunity to carefully scrutinize the Son of Man's words and his actions. And he's testifying to you and me, this is the truth. This is the gospel. This is what you may and you must believe. He not only heard him claim to be the Son of God, he saw him being the Son of God, beloved, full of grace and and truth. He not only heard him claim to be the Savior, John saw him saving his people. We're about to participate in this meal which shows forth and, and puts us in remembrance of Christ's death. But it's an event that John has, was witness to. He was there at the cross. He saw his body broken for you. He saw his blood shed for you. He heard him say, it is finished. He heard him say that he commended himself into the hands of his father. He saw all of that. And he saw him rise from the dead, risen in power from the grave. And he's bearing testimony to all of that to you and me. It's not just that I've heard of these things. I actually saw these things. I didn't just hear that Jesus would be the Savior. I saw him saving me and saving you on the cross of Calvary. He not only heard his claim to be the death of death, he saw John conquer, I mean, he saw Jesus conquer death. Stock says, the apostles were chosen to be eyewitnesses of his majesty, who saw his glory beaming through the cloud of his humanity, and bore witness that our fellowship might be with them, that we might, as it were, see with their eyes, feel, as it were, with their hands, and hear things through them which uh, prophets and kings desired to hear and see, and neither saw nor heard. And what is John's design in doing that, bearing witness to you and me of these things? Well, he explains it in verse 3 here. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The question before us all this morning is do we enjoy that fellowship? That fellowship that John speaks of here. Are you in a state of communion with the Trinitarian God of heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his people? The word fellowship is the vital one here. It's the translation of a form of the Greek word koinonia, from which we draw our English word communion. Fellowship in the modern church has devolved into a rather bland thing that doesn't really reflect the depth of the meaning implied here. We're going to have a fellowship meal next Sunday. And uh, when we do, we're going to sit down and talk together while we eat. And that's kind of the idea of fellowship. And the, the kernel of the idea and the truth of communion is there. But it's deeper than that. 
If you trace the use of this word in the New Testament, you'll soon find that it involves invested joint participation, partnership, sharing, and an unbroken connection with gifts. It's much more than simply becoming a part of an organization. It involves sharing in a living faith born of the Holy Spirit, which impacts our very lives. Peter said in 1 Peter 2 verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we weren't a people, but now we are God's people. That's what we have in common. That's what we share if we believe this testimony. Once we didn't have that mercy that relates to this redemptive work, but now we have received mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 22, it's a long section, but Paul says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's just stop and think about that for a moment, beloved. You're not strangers and aliens to these things, but you are now saints and members of the household of God. You share, you have communion in the household of God through Christ Jesus. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being formed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by the God, by God the Spirit. Or for God by the Spirit, excuse me. So being brought together and built together and in communion together to build this glorious temple to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this relationship with God through faith in his Son that brings us into contact with one another. Many of you have spent time with family here over the last few days. The size of some of those gatherings gets pretty large as families grow. Um, you meet cousins you hardly know or you've ever seen, and sometimes they're your 
second cousin or your third cousin or double first cousins or whatever all those things are. I'm sure Robert can fill all that in. And we see what we call distant relatives that we, we don't see very often. And we enjoy renewing our acquaintance with them. But then there are the closer times of fellowship and communion. The ones in which the more intimate family connections are evident. Where perhaps you all share the same parents or the same brothers and sisters. Beloved, that's the relationship you and I share in Jesus Christ. Every believer here shares the same father and the same brother. And that brings us into inevitable fellowship and shared blessings. As one puts it, by our faith, we share in a relationship, not just in activities. Not that we have activities as a church and we share together in those activities. We share in a relationship. And this fellowship is entered into by faith. It's the result of belief. Belief that before the foundations of the world, a covenant was established by that father and that son who is our brother regarding your soul. Believing that, confident in it. Belief that the promise made to Adam and Eve was a real promise from God himself. A belief that we are all sinners. A belief in what was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A belief in the gospel message preached and testified to by the prophets. Belief in the fullness of time God did send his son born to a woman, born under the law. A belief that Jesus, the only begotten of the Father and equal with God, humbled himself, took on your flesh and the form of a servant, lived a sinless life, worked miracles, taught the truth, and then humbled himself even further and went to the cross as your sin bearer. A belief that the testimony that John gives you concerning those things is true. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Redeemer. This is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by Him. A belief that He suffered and died for you on that cross and rose the third day. That He ascended into heaven and that He's coming again in power and great glory. That faith, beloved, that belief gives to you fellowship with John and, like him, fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We'll end this morning by emphasizing the fact that the idea of fellowship involves sharing our wealth. Not in a communistic sense, but in a spiritual way. Christianity, beloved, is the opponent of selfishness, says Stock, of inordinate self-love. Charity seeks not her own to the exclusion of the welfare of others. The Father has made his love known to us 
The Son loves us and gave himself for us. The apostles witnessed those things firsthand, and it became their mission to make them known to you and to me, that we might have fellowship with them in the fellowship of God through Christ Jesus. This, beloved, is how we live among one another and among others. To those within and those without the body of Christ, bearing testimony to the life that we now have and enjoy in the Lord, that others may share in it with us. You see John's passion here to bring you into this fellowship. We need to be praying for that same sort of passion towards others, towards the lost and those who are around us, to bring them into the fellowship of the knowledge of these things. We know that this testimony is true, and we believe it from our hearts, and we've witnessed the confirmation of it in our lives. And we are to live that out, an example before the world. And we are to bear testimony to the fact that these things are true. We have seen the word of life. You've seen it, haven't you? You've tasted of it. You've had a part in it. Not in the same way that John did, but in a spiritual way. You're about to confess that as you come here and partake of the elements here at this table. And that's what we need to communicate to this dark and dying world. It's the only hope of the world. Politics won't save us. Only Christ saves. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8 and verse 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. We don't want to be under the bed. We want to be on the stand, giving the light of life, letting it shine through us, so that men and women who have no hope or whose hope is in this world will see the hope that comes from Christ alone. That was John's passion. May it be ours as this year begins to unfold. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for John and his passion. Thank you, Lord, for his testimony concerning the things that he heard and that he saw and scrutinized and that he touched. And Father, we pray that we may be a witness in our own way for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for what you have done for us through him, for this great gospel that has been ours from the beginning. Lord, let us, meet, let us be hungry and thirsty in finding the elect. And Lord, anxious and careful in our witnessing to the light. Father, may we not be placed in a jar and hidden under the bed but may we be put upon the stand. And Lord, may we bear light, this light faithfully, the light of the gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is without this light, without this hope, 
We pray that even now they would hear the witness and testimony of John and hear what he's asking them to believe. Not an idea, not a concept, not a theory, but the evidence of things promised in your word, the work of Christ in redeeming men. And Lord, may they find the grace to be able to put their faith in the testimony and witness of the apostles and of the prophets and of your word and of all those who believe here this morning. And may they come and find everlasting hope and righteousness. And may all of us who begin this year in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may we be blessed with a passion to make the light that glows in our hearts known to all around us. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Truly all we have is ground in this reality that Christ came to save us and he uh, walked among us. So let's stand together and declare this faith that we have with him, 645, Jesus, the very thought of thee. confess our faith together by reciting together the Apostles' Creed this morning. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. If you are visiting with us today, you may wonder whether you should or should not partake in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we don't want anyone to uh, 